But in Luke 11, uh, we're going to talk today about uh, about spiritual hypocrisy. And uh, that's the transition there, right? Um, but the, the uh, you know, it's it's Christmas time and you'd think it'd be like a Christmas message. But uh, in, in this part of... Uh, Part of the, the, you know, obviously the sermon series, we're moving through Luke, and this is where we are now. Um, and, you know, just a little disclaimer, this, this really isn't going to be a, kind of like a happy sermon. This isn't going to be a uh, ten ways to kind of improve your life kind of sermon. Uh, this is going to be a, a very much um, Jesus denouncing religious hypocrisy and how that relates today. Um, and it's funny, as, as we were kind of... Uh, Going through this, uh, going through this story, I was, I was kind of looking through, um, and Ed was helping me out with it as he usually does. And um, and as as we were sitting there, all of a sudden, uh, you know, Lindsay came in and uh, and she just was like, "Hey guys!" And uh, there's a gingerbread house on the table, and uh, she reaches over and uh, she's she has like one of the gumdrops or whatever. And uh, and I was like, "Oh, nice, we can eat it." But then all of a sudden, Ed is like, "Lindsay." This is tradition to not eat the gingerbread house until Christmas. And, and Lindsay was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then she took one more. <laughs> and, uh, and Ed said, no, it, this, is a, this is tradition. You can't do that. And uh, Lindsay graciously submitted to the authority of her father and went upstairs and gave up. So, and she was, she was righteous. And, uh, and, and we're sitting there. And uh, then it, just, it seems like just a few moments later... Ed reaches over to the gingerbread house, <laughs> snaps off a piece of the crispy rooftop, bit a piece, and he just slightly smirked, and we just kept going, and and uh, and then just a moment later, I see another hand reach over. Uh, did you eat one of the jelly figures? I don't know, but it was it was it was traumatizing for me, really. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to say. So I bring it up right now. It's kind of awkward. He's eating. He just offered me a, like a good yogurt. I don't know what to do here. And I was silent. I didn't know what to do. And uh, but. Then just, uh, you know how their dining room set up? Here's the, here's the, or this is the dining room, whatever it is, the kitchen over here. And, and Deb just looks over at, Ed, are you eating the gingerbread house? And, and Ed said, mm, I, yeah. And, and, and Deb said, that's, that's so hypocritical of you. And, uh, and Ed stopped. But I realized that, Je- like, Deb was Jesus in this story. Always, always in this story, right? Uh, but I'm glad that we have wives that can call us out like that. But it was, and I just thought, like, who was I in this story? I was nobody. I was, I was on the side of Ed here. I was the hypocrite. And uh, and as funny as that story is, I'm, it, it's it's a reality in the religious world today, right? And and sometimes we can think since since we have such an awesome group of people and we just love each other so much that we think, well, we couldn't possibly be. Religious hypocrites. We, we have the right doctrine. We, uh, we, have, we have family groups. I have a discipling partner. There's no way. We just think, well, that's the outside world. But I really want us today to really examine and see where are we in this passage? Who are we in this passage? And as we read this to really understand, we are those religious hypocrites. And we totally are in danger of that at all times. Because we are doing our best to follow God. And as we read that passage, let's think about that. 
I'm going to read the passage and then pray and then we're going to jump into it. So in verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, do you insult us also? Jesus replied, and experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in His wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. If you can bow your heads with me. Father, we come before you today as we read this passage, and um, I pray that we can come before this passage as humbly as possible. I know that just reading it myself, I can feel convicted and really understand that, man, this is, I'm always in danger of all of these. I could, I could be these at any time in my life, and, and I can't put myself above reproach, and I can't put myself any kind of, um, like, the, like I, this, this is not me. This could never be me. And I, I pray that as we speak today, as, as I speak, that your words can speak. And that they can speak volumes. That people can walk out of here really understanding that, that you bring this up because you want us to be with you in heaven. You bring these things up because, not because you want us to feel hurt, although that will happen if we're really convicted. But that we understand that you want us to be in heaven and that's why you bring things up. And that we can do the same things for each other, but also, God, that we can really grasp onto this and walk out of here understanding that we don't have to be Pharisees and we can be totally right with you and have a right relationship with you. And I thank you for being perfect and giving us the word. And I pray for myself that I can speak the word powerfully today. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, uh, just a, a couple things on this, on this passage. Um, you know, it, sometimes, I know the first time I read this, I was like, man, it's kind of weird to bring that up at a dinner time. Like, at dinner, you just, whoa to you, you know. Um, but actually, it, it would have been pretty common first century for, uh, like, a visiting rabbi or, or to have someone, a teacher, come over and, and teach during a meal uh, around that kind of setting. Um, 
you know, and, and they were surprised that he, did, he didn't do this this one thing, you know. And they made, it, he clearly makes a big deal out of it. The Pharisee was surprised. Um, and Jesus makes a point, and he says, you know, you, you guys have these clean outsides, but insides, you're full of all kinds of disgusting filth. And he jumps into the first woe. And the first woe is, uh, you know, he's talking about tithing, but it's, it's like turning mountains into molehills. And uh, really what he's talking, I don't know if you guys have heard that, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, you know, you might be a redneck if. Well, today we're going to talk about you might be a religious hypocrite if. And we're going to go through these things and try to make it as real as possible for ourselves. Um, and, and the first point is turning molehills into mountains. That's the, that's the first thing that he brings up here. And when he says, you know, you, you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, uh, you know, tithing, tithing these small herbs would have been extremely pious of them. But it wasn't enough. They, they should have known to go through with all of it, to really see justice be done. You know, or, or in other words, kind of seeing that people are loved, taken care of, Financially, emotionally, that justice was done there. Love of God. They were, they were neglecting all these things, but they thought, well, we're tithing. It's fine. We're giving a tenth of even the smallest things we have. But Jesus did not pat them on the back for that. Now, he, he did tell them that, that what they did was right. He's, he, he did say, um, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. He says, no, no, no it's not wrong that you tithe. But what's wrong is that you left this big thing undone. You told you turned a molehill, you turned tithing into all of it. Like tithing was all of it for you guys. Like all you had to do was tithe. As long as I'm tithing, I'm good. And that's what a lot of the religious world preaches today, and it's sad, but it's this idea that, that all you got to do is just tithe. And if you tithe, you're good. 10%, and even of the smallest things, can you imagine just the smallest herb cutting it up and making 10% of that? And that, that would have been a difficult and very scientific, kind of like an exact thing to do, but it wasn't part of a loving lifestyle. And so it didn't matter. You know, and, and one interesting thing here is, is that uh, this verse kind of reminds me of, uh, of Saul when he, uh, when he was rejected by God. There's a story of uh, Saul... He was the king right before David. Um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story, but uh, I'll explain it anyway. Saul was, was a king, and God had appointed him king, and, and God gave him a command. He said, hey, I want you to go out and destroy the Amalekites. I want you to completely destroy everything. Leave everything, extro- destroy it all. And Saul says, okay. He goes out, and he, he goes to the Amalekites, and, um, but he leaves a couple things undone doesn't kill the king he takes the fat sheep and, and, and everything like that and and when Samuel is a, is a prophet of God and, and he's, he's really kind of uh, he's, he's I don't know if you'd say friends with Saul but either way he's a prophet and he comes to Saul and and, and he's asking what what happened long story short I'll, I'll kind of kind of summarize the conversation he says what were you doing what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? And Saul is like, I did everything right. I commanded, I obeyed God. I just kept a couple other things because I wanted to, well, I wanted to sacrifice that stuff to God. And, and Samuel says, no. To obey God is better than sacrificing that stuff. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed his voice is better than the fat of rams. 
That's the point, is obedience to God. You don't call a child that disobeys an obedient child, do we? But then we call ourselves obedient children when we only half obey God, don't we? When a, a, a kid who's disobedient isn't one who's disobedient every single command. There's just a couple ones. Or, the, or there's, there's a good chunk of them. And we ourselves, are we disobedient children? If we turn molehills into mountains, yes. You know, today people would see the, the consistent giver as extraordinary. In today's world, Jesus' words would be, met with, would be met with resistance because people would feel like he's being harsh here. Maybe someone yelled out, Jesus, you're being legalistic. Wow. He's being harsh. He's being whatever. Oh, Jesus, you're not being loving. Could you be in Jesus' ministry at this time? It's, it's a reality is that Jesus expects us to obey everything. Now there's God's grace, absolutely, right? And amen for that. But not for deliberate disobedience. Deliberately disobeying God? In a pattern? That is not okay. And Jesus clearly says here. You know, and, but the, the question for me is, okay, I, I see that that's what they're doing here. Is, is they're just tithing and then there's, you know, they're neglecting justice and the love of God. But what does that mean for me? How do I know if I'm a religious hypocrite in this way? How do I know if I'm turning molehills into mountains? You know, if, if you give the contribution, but you don't give the benevolence. You're literally giving, you're giving, that's exactly what they, were, they, would, they would have been doing here. The, the, the tithe would have gone to the, the priests and the Levites, but the, the justice, the, the love of other people, that wasn't going on. Why? You know, if, if, if you love getting with other Christians, but you hate getting input from them, you're turning a molehill into a mountain. Oh, but I'm getting with so-and-so. But you're not getting input. I don't know why I said it like that. Input. <laughs> Go up to the mountain. I don't, you know, it's, I don't know. My accent is so messed up from, from uh, being in a, in a multinational home. Um, but um, if you get advice, but you rarely take it, now you don't have to. Well, advice is advice. It's, it's not a command. But usually you just say that to the advice that you don't want to do. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, usually that, that advice that you get, you're like, uh, advice is advice, right? Amen. So, I don't know. Amen. You just say that to the stuff that you know is right. The stuff that's a big opinion issue. You're like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go with that. Amen. I'm just obeying advice, really. I'm just a good Christian. You're turning a molehill into a mountain there. If you come to every Bible talk, but you rarely evangelize. Now, you can go through a long string. I've been through long strings where I'm like, reaching out like a madman. And I'm like, do I stink? Like, why aren't people coming out? What's going on? You know, but I'm reaching out. I'm, I'm doing the thing. But it's, it's discouraging when you come to Bible talk, you reach out, no one's coming. You're like, well, why do I even reach out then? I mean, I'll just come to Bible talk. I'll fellowship the visitors that are there. That'll be enough, right? But if you're not actively going out there and making disciples, you got to take it back to, do you remember your discipleship study? Do you remember when someone sat you down and said, hey, are you in your life making disciples? And what did you say? You said, no, I'm not. You said, oh, man, I'm not. Some of it was easier than others. Others were like, oh, yeah, absolutely, I'm making disciples. What does that mean for you? Well, I talk about God to people sometimes. 
Let's stop making disciples. Let's be real with it. We can easily turn molehills into mountains when it gets hard. And it's hard because sometimes it's, it's, it's really difficult. It's hard to totally obey God. It's not easy. But what does God say? Jesus clearly lays it. He preempts us before we even became disciples. The road to life is what? Narrow, difficult, anything but easy. Anything but easy. The road to life is difficult. It's supposed to be that way. If discipleship doesn't really feel difficult for you right now, you, you've got to have a great quiet time on what's going on. Because if it's easy for you, I don't know if you're doing it. I don't know if you're doing it. If it's easy, absolutely. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, but discipleship is difficult. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs your whole life. Your entire life. You know, Jesus really calls us to obey everything, right? But even if we look, and and we can obey everything, and we can look great spiritually. And and when we look great spiritually, it's easy to be narcissistic, isn't it? And that's that's the second woe here, narcissism. You know, it's so easy. And he says, you know, in verse 43, just read it again. Woe to you, because you, you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Now, the first time I read that, I just thought greetings in the marketplace is why I don't get why that's important. Uh, but actually, back then, in the first century, it was a tradition that those who were more knowledgeable of the Torah were greeted especially respectful, especially respectfully in the marketplaces. So if many greeted you in the marketplace, that meant a lot of people thought, man, this, 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 this guy's top notch. He really knows the Torah. He really knows this stuff for the Pentateuch. Um, these Pharisees found the affection of men more appealing than the affection of God. They were more interested in that. They thought, well, you know, here we go. I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting greeted left and right. That's awesome. Oh, I love being seen by other people. I love people thinking that I know more than them. I love feeling like I'm above people. That was the Pharisees at this time. They loved to be greeted and, and, and seen as, as just higher. They loved taking the place of God in people's hearts. They loved that. They loved being greeted. They loved the attention, that kind of like a drum major instinct. The kind of like, I want to be front and center. Not, uh, no offense to any drum majors out there. <laughs> I think there's a couple, right? Uh, anyway, but either way. That, 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 oh my good, crying out for attention. I just, I, I want to be known. I want to be seen. I want to be seen as more than other people. I want to be especially important. I want to be a brighter piece of dust than other people. You know, and today, we too can have narcissistic tendencies in the church today with our, our roles of leadership. It's so easy, isn't it? Even if you're not a leader, some people think that, some people think that this really only applies to uh, all the woes are really only to, to, to leadership. That's uh, not true. Um, and especially with this one, because it's, it's easy. That, but the, the funny thing about your title in the church is that no one really thinks about it that much except for you. So uh, hopefully that squashes it right there. But I don't know if no, I need to say anything more about that. But, you know, and, and leaders are worthy of respect. But no one should try to be in leadership because of respect. And it's, it's, it's just like people who aspire to be in, in roles of authority just for the sake of having authority. What do they do with it? They always abuse it. Every single time. And it's going to be like that with you. If that's what you aim for. I want to do this so I can be recognized. You know what you're going to do with that recognition? Nothing godly. 
you're not going to give it back to God. There's no way you could. Because you've got that recognition from a dirty heart. Jesus is harsh with these guys. He's saying, you love this recognition. That has nothing to do with God's. Aspirational leadership without humility is, is not noble. It's satanic. And that's what he's rebuking these guys for. You know, and, and something that I thought about is, is Satan was an angel once. He wanted to be the best leader there ever was. But he didn't want to be humble before God. You know, both times we say in, in the Bible, he's using his knowledge of the scripture to twist other people's minds to obey Satan's will. He's using his knowledge of the Bible to undermine God's authority and draw people towards himself. And really, when we try to do God's work to get ourselves recognized, we're not aligning ourselves with Jesus. We're aligning ourselves with Satan. And that's the reality that we have to get. And it's so hard for me because it's so easy as, 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 as a younger Christian, I didn't really struggle with it. But as time goes on and I do more for God and, and I move here, I move there, or I give up this, I give up that, I feel like I should get more respect. I feel like people should recognize me more. I feel like I should get more. But that's wrong and I have to fight hard to fight against that. And I have to get it out of my heart. And it's hard and I have to pray it out of there. And I have to say, God, please, if there's any amount of just wanting recognition for myself or, or doing this for, for my own glory, please just weed it out or, or take me out of leadership somehow. Do something. I don't want to be prideful, please. I'd rather be nobody. I'd rather be absolutely no one. No one knows my name. I come to church and, and Barely anyone knows me, but I'm loving people. I'm out of myself. I'm giving. I'd rather have that role because that role takes me to heaven. And the other road takes me to hell. I don't want to go there. And you don't want to go there. And if, if we have any of that aspirational leadership without humility, that does not mean you just leave leadership right away. It means that you get open about it. You deal with it. But how do you know? How do you know practically? You know, if you're constantly committed to the fellowship because you're trying to get a higher place of leadership, you can be sure that you are this woe. If when you're transitioning out of leadership, you become obsessed with the titles that you're given, you are guilty of this woe. Absolutely. I remember the first time I transitioned out of leadership. It was, it was, it was a couple months I became a Christian. They put me as a Bible talk leader. And... Um, and I was doing okay, but then I fell into some deep, dark sin. Come on. I didn't want to tell anybody. And then I told somebody, that, bro, you can't be leading a Bible talk with that in your life. Come on. And I remember it was, it, there was a girl involved. And it was so embarrassing. Because I felt like I, people were, and people were like, why are you out of leadership? And I just didn't know, and I was like, sin, that's why I'm out of leadership. So... I don't know if you were looking for a sugar-coated answer there, but that's why. So I remember, what, you know, and I just remember that feeling of, like, embarrassment. Like, oh, I'm not a leader anymore. Oh, I feel like I'm nobody. Uh, I feel like blah, blah, blah. And I just felt like, oh, and this, my narcissistic tendency was just blown out of proportion. I don't know if that was the right way to say that. It was blown up. And it was huge in my face, and I didn't know how to deal with it. But then, you know, I realized that Matthew 7, it says that those who obey the will of God are the ones who are rewarded by God in heaven. 
And there are people who are under the assumption in, in that parable where, where they're like, didn't we, didn't we perform any miracles? Didn't we do all this stuff for you, God? And God just says, I don't even know you. You know, and, and we live in a society that is just obsessed with man, obsessed with celebrities, obsessed with people getting a name for themselves, and men who do great deeds, and men who, who accomplish big things. But God is only interested and only knows those people who obey Him. Think of your, uh, the, the biggest celebrity in your mind, or, or, or the greatest, maybe, political figure in your mind, whatever. If that person's not a Christian, God doesn't even know that person, person's name. Brad Pitt, who? <laughs> David De Los Santos? Oh, come on in here. <laughs> you know? That's what I want. Oh, I, I just want God to know me. Yeah. I just want God to know. I don't care who knows me. People, people don't know my name. Big deal. I don't care. Come on. They're going to say, what, who is it? The, the person in your mind that you think in the world is like, oh, that person's successful. If they're not a Christian, God doesn't. It has no esteem in God's eyes. Wow. And that's what encourages me to really get the narcissism out of my mind. Let God's recognition be enough for you. you that's what Jesus wants. And so it's clear. Let recognition from God be enough for you. What looks like to God, you know, what we look like to others can be totally different things. Which is why hidden sin can be so dangerous. And that's my second point. Or my third point, I'm sorry. The third woe is, is really unrighteousness. You know, they're like unmarked graves which went, men walk over without knowing it. You know, and, and they, they basically, now back then, obviously graves are still, you know, afraid to walk over today and obviously things like that. But back in the first century, nothing was as defiling as a corpse. Tombs would be painted white because if even your shadow touched the grave, then you were considered unclean. These Pharisees were full of devastating proportions of sin and they didn't know it. Men are walking over these unmarked graves and they didn't even know it. Nothing was as dirty as a corpse to them. If they would have heard this, it would have been, whoa, you're calling us as defiling as a corpse? I mean, back then you would have just been like, Jesus, settle down. What in the world? I mean, okay, I didn't tithe. Okay, I'm just tithing. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to change. But why do you keep going? Gosh, you know? They were infecting everyone around them. That's why Jesus was so upset with them. When you walked over a grave that you didn't know it, you would have been defiled. He's saying, you're defiling people, you don't even realize it. Wow. Today, death and disease are so hidden from us nowadays by hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not a bad thing, but I'm just saying that as a fact. I'm just saying that we don't, we don't get to see a ton of death, unless you're a doctor, obviously, or work in a hospital. But it, it's hidden. People just decaying to death, uh, rotting bodies. We don't really see that very much in America. But unrighteousness makes us full of infectious, defiling nastiness. It's, and I remember one time, um, the worst illustration I've ever heard of hidden sin. Uh, just uh, unrighteousness hidden in the life. I remember someone, I was studying the Bible with someone, uh, trying to you, you know, uh, go over this kind of passage with us, uh, how dirty hidden sin is. And, and he said, you know what, you know what it's like? It's like, uh, it, it's like in your house, like not taking out the trash. It's like someone, it, it's like you keep loading up the trash and you keep loading up the trash and you, you take out the bag and you set it in another place and you keep, and then by, before you know it, you know, oh man, that's what hidden sin is like, isn't it? It's like having a house full of dirty trash. Wow. I was like, no, no, it's worse than that. It's way worse than that. It's not, it's not just that it smells, it's that it, it's that it makes you dirty. Yeah. It makes you disgusting yeah. before God. 
You know, um, how do you know? But how, how do we know if, if we really have that kind of de- defiling corpse-like sin in our life? Um, well, if you have confessed sin in your life, uh, like porn, that's easy to hide. Second, looks at girls in public. That's an easy one. Uh, strife with leaders. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, you, you have someone that's helping you out spiritually, that leading you spiritually, and you have large amounts of bitter attitudes, or even, even small amounts, whatever you consider, and you just have never talked about it. You're not talking about it, you're not getting open about it, you're not dealing with it. That's sin. That's strife. Racism. Racism is a big one right now in America, and it always has been. And sadly, it probably always will be, just like it's always been in the entire world. Ever since the dawn of time, what I'm appreciating is that, is, is that we're a fellowship that does not approve of that. We're a fellowship that is totally against that, and, and, and intentionally. But in your heart, do you harbor that kind of stuff? You know, and, and we all know, but behind the other races back, you'll say things, oh, blah, 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 you, you know, oh, black people are like this, oh, white people are like this. Is that hateful? That's hateful in your heart. You are a racist. And you are disgusting before God, and you are a hiding sin. You need to confess that, you need to get open about it, get it out of your heart. Because we can't have that in this fellowship. We can't have pornography in our, in our midst. We can't have second looks at girls in public. We can't have strife with leaders. All of these things will bring down this church. If we don't get open about it and deal with it. And, let and you know, bro, I'm struggling with this. That's painting your tomb white. That's saying, bro, I got I to gotta deal with this. I don't know how to, but help me out here. That's how we get over that stuff. Amen? Amen. But it's so easy. To do that, and but you know, um, it's it, but the other thing that's easy, I think, is uh, is is in, the, is in this next verse, in verse forty-five. One of the experts in the law answers, you know, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus wasn't even talking to these guys. They're like, dude, I don't know what you're saying to these guys. Well, he, he knew it, but he's like, you're you're also offending us right now, okay? So, uh, and Jesus says, yo, what do you too? I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> now I can get at you. Right? Uh, you know, but, but the big deal is that they, they had no idea. You insult us. Like Jesus was doing something wrong. And it's so easy because, you know, the, the next part that, that, you know, sometimes it's not just leaders, but it's everybody. We, we can make religion a burden, right? We can make the tasks of God. That's, that, my next point is the next woe, obviously. But it's making the tasks of God a burden for His people. It's a longer one. But you, you make Christianity a burden for other people. You're not helping them. You're not doing anything. But, you know, back then, these leaders would call others to obey everything the law said. But they themselves didn't help them or do it themselves completely. And Jesus wasn't denouncing the fact that they called others to totally obey God. That would go completely against Jesus' character. Some people think this means, oh, this means you can't call other people to really live a life of discipleship. Oh, well, this means that you, 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 know, you can't call people to difficult decisions. Well, Jesus called pretty much, actually, yes, he called everyone yeah. to give up everything they had. Yeah. He called everyone to make difficult decisions. So that's not what he means there. He's denouncing the fact that they don't help them with their obedience. Mm-hmm. It's not pharisaical to call others to obey. It's pharisaical to not help others obey. 
Okay? And it's, and it's so easy. You know, today, leaders are, who are guilty often of this can often call their members to do things that they're not doing because it would be inconvenient for them. You know, it's easy as a leader to say, we need to reach out more. But how much are you really, really reaching out? Maybe you're calling your members to, to really, you're calling the people in your group to really come together and be unified. But are you really loving the group? Maybe you're, maybe you're, uh, you're trying to help someone out spiritually and, and you just feel like, oh, this person's just not getting it. Ah, oh, this person doesn't really care. But you're not really doing anything about it. You're not having consistent conversations. And it's so easy to be a Pharisee and a lawyer. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to just sit there frustrated and just be like, no, you need to repent and just not do anything to really help them or love them through that. Amen. It's easy as a leader. But on the flip side, um, I'd say more so, Christians today can often have too high of a standard for their leaders. They... I, I think for me as a young Christian, I remember my first year, it, it was a rough one. It was, uh, you know, I, I had a hidden sin, obviously, like I just said, and I got out, amen, I got over it. But I, I remember as soon as I repented, I, the, the, uh, the man that was discipling me, I just didn't click with him. Didn't click. You ever have that? You're like, man, I know I'm supposed to be led by this person, but we just don't click. I just don't like him. I don't know why. I just don't like him. He's not fun to be around. He's not exciting. He doesn't do anything. It's just like, it's just weird. Right? And we've all felt that before. You just don't click with them. And so, I don't want to get advice from him. And, you know, he just doesn't really seek to understand me. He just doesn't really come to me. I always have to come. And, and I would just make all these complaints. I'd say, oh, he's not doing this. Oh, he's not doing this. I remember he was, he was, he was, uh, he was 25. I was 20 or 21. I remember being like, why? Well, he's he's just too young, really. <laughs> anyway, uh, but you know what I'm saying there. You could just make all kinds of excuses and expect this person to be perfect, and you are not perfect. And that's what I had to realize is I'm not perfect. Why do I expect him to be perfect? He can't be perfect. I can't be perfect. Now, we aim for perfection, amen. That's what Jesus calls us to do. But we have to. And I remember, especially as a teenager, teens, this is for you. I remember as a teenager thinking, my teen leader just doesn't really understand me. Can't really. He's not in with what I'm doing. He doesn't understand all of what. I had a dad leave. I had a sister that died when she was younger. I'm dealing with drug and alcohol problems. This guy just doesn't understand me where I'm coming from. And you know what? He doesn't need to. Now, absolutely, as leaders, we, we always uh, do our best to understand, but no one's going to totally understand you, and you need to be okay with that. And if people show you the Bible, amen. I'm so glad I have people in my life that show me the Bible. I don't thank people, I don't thank God for the people that are the most friendly to me. I thank God for the people who show me the most truth, who lay heavy burdens on me and help me out. They say, follow God totally. Here, let me help you. That's what I love. I love yeah. people like that. I love people who call me to do more than I think I can do or that I want to do. <laughs> Amen. And we all should, right? But if you criticize your leaders you're not, who are not understanding you, you, you're not understanding them. If you call other people to a standard higher than you expect of yourself, well, there you go. You're a religious hypocrite for sure. You know, and, uh, you know, I know that for me it's, it's really easy to be that way. 
And I just know that it, this doesn't mean that we don't call other people higher. It means that we help other people get higher, right? Amen? I think that, that's, that's encouraging for me. But, but after he gets done telling them that they're a bunch of lazy good-for-nothings, uh, he tells them what he really thinks. Uh, Jesus twists the knife when he tells them that they're all, they're all living a lie. You know, it's all a show for them. It's a show. It's a show. Um, it's an inside joke from campus, but... Uh, it's just whenever Ben Watkins sees something, uh, Ben Watkins is uh, he, he's a, a student assistant coach for uh, the CNU um, basketball. But when he's there, he'll uh, if he sees something weird, he'll say, "Oh, that's a show." Or if he, he sees something just kind of outrageous, he'll be like, "Oh, it was a show." You know, uh, it's something like that. But it, I think it's just kind of a catchy thing for me. When I realized, I was like, "Man, this is all their all everything they do for God. It's all a show. It's a show." You're building tombs, these amazing tombs. You would have thought, oh, these guys are for sure. I mean, they're, they're commending these guys who died for their faith. Amen for them. But they weren't obeying God. They weren't obeying the Bible. From Abel to Zechariah. That's a lot of folks. Um, Abel was the first prophet in their Bible. Zechariah was the last prophet in their Bible. From Genesis to Second Chronicles. That was their Bible. What Jesus said is you killed not one, but every single one of the prophets. You killed them all. You killed all of them. You're testing because you you love the prophets, but you refuse their teachings. Therefore, you approve of their deaths. You might as well have been there and killed them yourself. I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. This generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. That's a serious accusation. You know, they look like they were on the same side of the martyrs, but they weren't. Jesus is telling them that they're guilty of innocent bloodshed, which is as serious of an accusation back then as it would be now. Telling someone, you're guilty of innocent blood. Back then, that would have been serious. How dare you? Jesus says, like father, like son. He says, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? He's like, your forefathers killed all the guys that were trying to help them get right with God, and you're doing the same thing right now to me. You know, and and we say amen to great points like that, right? On obedience. But what about living it out? We read the Bible. We come to everything. I mean, we do all these things... We even invite people to church. But you can still live a double life when you do all that stuff. The point that Jesus is making here is that you guys have disobeyed their message. You have disobeyed the Bible. And that is what God wants. God doesn't want these tombs. Yeah, I think those tombs are awesome. Awesome, build those tombs. But you're not obeying the Bible, so it doesn't matter. You're not obeying God. And I remember as as a kid... I saw my sister die, my father leave, my family become embittered towards the church. I struggled with drug and alcohol problems as a teenager. And I remember coming back, and that was kind of like my tomb. Overcoming my whole life, and I remember people in the church, uh, I, I got baptized when I was 19. I remember people being like, you've overcome so much, wow. Just, I mean, applause at my baptism. I mean, people just thought I was just Superman. Because they saw my whole life, uh, these people that had grown up with me and, and seen my family leave the church and, and all these struggles in my life and me come back and they all thought, wow, good job. Amen. You're doing awesome. 
But that doesn't mean anything. And it's all a show if I disobey God and fall away next week. It's all a show. And I was applauded by the church, but even the world was like, wow, you've overcome so much. And it, but, it, but that first year when I fell into the sin, it was, it, to God, it was just all a show. If I'm not totally obeying God, if I have hidden sin in my life, if any of us have these woes, and we're not dealing with it, it's all just a show. It doesn't matter. If I don't love my wife, it doesn't matter what I do or where I go. Because it's all a show if I don't obey God. If I don't honor my wife, God doesn't even listen to my prayers. Do you guys know that? If you don't honor your wife, God doesn't even want to hear you pray. That's how much He detests these shows, these displays, trying to make it look good, but it's not. It's all a show if we have prideful hearts. But the question I want to ask you guys, after all these woes, is what's your woe? What's the one that struck you? Maybe they all did. Amen. But what's your woe? Have you really dealt with it? Have you thought about it? Have you thought about it and not done anything about it? And it's so easy to to read this and be like, wow, Jesus really rebuked these guys. Oh man, I need a change. But then you go away and you just forget all about it. Church becomes more like a TV show than a fellowship. You come, you enjoy it when you're there. You love it. Oh, you can't wait till the next episode. But until the next episode, you're not really doing anything about it. It doesn't affect the way you live. Me and Nadia, we love the show Blacklist. I don't think about Blacklist when I'm away from Blacklist, though. I'll think about it occasionally, and I'll think, I love Blacklist. I'll see people, I'll be like, have you seen Blacklist? I love it. I'm following it right now. I'm on number 147, or whatever it is. There's a, anyway. But the point is, is is that some of us, we walk away from church and we just forget about our woes. It's so easy because it's hard to really dig down deep and remember, this is my woe. I got to attack this. I got to get rid of this woe. And, you know, for for me, I think about, well, how how do we do that consistently for the rest of our lives? How do we really make sure that we don't become like the Pharisees in this passage? I think it's simple. I think you get a prophet in your life. I think it get a prophet in your life and you make sure that if if you have someone in your life that calls you out that seems like man that's kind of harsh you sit back and you say okay what did they just say because I probably have to hear that very closely because we live in a society that is chock full of self esteem and niceness and just, I remember going over to India for the first time and people were so direct and I was like wow they're just wow they're just right out there wow and, and it's just oh it, Oh, you put on. Oh, you, that, that's the kind of like if someone's gaining weight, they'll just be like, oh, you put on, you're getting fat. Ah. And I'm like, whoa, oh my goodness. <laughs> and I lost like 10 pounds when I was over there. And someone was like, oh, you're losing all, you're losing everything. <laughs> and, uh, and I was. I was losing everything. It was crazy. <laughs> but the, the, the point is there is that we live in a culture that is not honest. That is not like the prophets of old. And sometimes we think, oh, well, well, if we tell the truth, it's going to be too much for people, or ah, it's just going to be, ah, it's just going to be uh, you know, harsh or seen as, as aggressive. And you know what? Read the prophets. Yeah. Read about Jesus' life. You know how Jesus' message was taken? They killed him. Yes. That's the, one of the things in there. He says, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. He's saying, all those guys that were preaching the right thing, you killed them. 
you thought they were too harsh, you thought they weren't having the right message, and so you killed them. And now they're going to kill him. That's right after that. When Jesus left there, they began to oppose him fiercely. What prophet in your life are you opposing fiercely? Who are you, who are you just like, oh, that brother just, mm, he doesn't say it right. Oh, that sister, she just doesn't, she's just not very loving when she challenges me. <laughs> that brother just doesn't understand my situation. That's not the right attitude. <laughs> I say it like that to myself all the time. I'm like, well, it could have been said this. No, you know what? That's not the right mentality. The right mentality is to say, you know what? Whatever they said, I've got to listen to it. Because I don't want to go to hell with this. Come on. The people that are going to hell, they're going to be comfortable all the way there. They're going to be comfortable all the way there. And people that get to heaven, it's going to be difficult all the way there. Sometimes, sometimes in, in the campus, sometimes people say, oh, well, when I get, I'll be able to relax. That's, that's not a couple people say that. That's, a lot of people will say that. They'll be like, well, I'll, I'll get to relax. I'll have time off and blah, 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 or what, what, what have you. But the funny thing is, is we say that about a lot of phases in our life, don't we? Yep. Well, once, once I get this promotion at work, then I'll have more time, and, and then I'll be devoted to fellowship. Yeah. Once this kid is raised and out of the house, maybe then I'll be, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. I'm kind of scared for that. They'll come back. Bill says they'll come back. Uh, either way, it's the phases of life where it's difficult to be a disciple is every single phase, every single season. And hopefully someone told you that before you became a Christian. <laughs> well, and if, and if not, surprise. <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> Obeying God is hard. Reaching out is awkward sometimes. Giving money to God is always difficult. You make more money. Well, if I was making more, it'd be easier to tithe. No, for me, it'd be harder because then I'd be giving more. It's so easy to think, well, maybe it's just a kind of, I can take it easy right now. That's not what Jesus says to these Pharisees, and that's not what he says to us. I want to encourage you guys to get a prophet in your life. Maybe you already do. Hold on to that prophet and treat that prophet like they are your best friend. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.